Mr. Pop. Dark. When the little birds are nesting, and I listen to them too, there's two lonesome people in the whole wide world. That's me and the man in the moon. Hello, and welcome to Miskatonic University Radio, a podcast exploring Fantasy Flight Games as Arkham Horror the Card Game. I'm Dane. I'm Dan. And I'm Ben. And today, we're exploring the player cards in the newest deluxe expansion, the Dream Eaters. Hooray! Uh, but first, we have a big elephant in the room to address. Uh, I've been told by several fans, nobody can tell you guys apart. Uh, so I'm going to need you guys, one of you needs to speak in a much lower voice for this entire podcast. I mean, it's also difficult because our names are only one letter apart. Yeah. What if we added or subtracted some letters? Would that help at all? Dan could subtract all of the E's from the letters that would have E's in them. What if uh, What if every time I'm talking, I kind of like drum on my desk a little bit like this, <laughs> kind of like a kind of like an improvised jazz groove, and then that would make it really easy to tell us apart. We could go backwards on one of your names. We could call Dan Nad from now on. But that... Dan could be E Nad. That's like high tech, yeah. right? Like, uh, yeah. We can like explore this we can like uh we can look into this and come up with some ideas all right i just i think people are going to continue to be confused if one of you doesn't speak in a much much higher pitch or much much lower pitch look i've got some unfortunate news about how podcasts work Uh, every (laughs) podcast is three or four dudes with exactly the same names and voices uh, (laughs) talking into a skype or google hangouts chat so maybe podcasts just aren't for you you know like that's kind of just that's kind of just how the medium works uh well no but i do have a real thing to talk about which is of course the new faq list or faq changes excitement yeah uh, everyone everyone always loves these uh in-depth analysis of the red text that has been added to this pdf it's important but uh i just wanted to highlight a a few things first of all they immediately retconned or not retconned uh, ruined our glorious plans to use guiding spirit on tommy to get him tons of money all the time with a ghost friend by changing its uh changing its force (laughs) if you listen last episode you'll know i was very excited about that yeah they they changed his force text to be win instead of after so that means it will trigger before tommy's ability i don't know if this has any other reaction uh interactions with anything other than just making it so tommy can't hang out with ghosts so absolutely awful what about the the decorated skull if anybody can play both of those like wendy could play decorated skull or something uh well decorated skull just would get a skull point when it gets defeated yeah yeah it still gets considered defeated or no i guess uh yeah it would still give you a skull point either way i think it's just this tommy interaction where because it shuffles it back into the deck before the force triggers or something. There's probably other stuff, but super bummer that he can't hang out with ghosts effectively. Ooh. I mean, he still can, but just not as, as in a, such a cool way. I think he doesn't even give her money now, actually. So dumb. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, because that's a more important part. Yeah. For other yeah. changes, so they, they, they renamed one of the categories? They Yes, they did, in fact, change uh, Limited to be called Chained and Unchained. Chained and Unchained. For the Taboo List which uh, we're big advocates of. We know everyone doesn't use it, but we like to do it. Functionally, it's basically the same. Increases the experience cost of some cards, but now it can also decrease the experience cost of some cards, uh, which they only used on one card, uh, Springfield M1903. Uh, it reduced its experience cost by one. I think um, I think no one will use it still. Still garbage. <laughs> I am excited to put Springfield in my deck when they unchain it so much that it gives you like net, it, it like gives you net to experience for putting it in your deck. That's when I'll think about putting it in. Yeah. Uh, other two cards they changed. Uh, drawing Thin now costs three experience. Not really super surprising uh, because Drawing Thin is so incredibly good. I think the only question was whether they were going to do something like this or whether they were going to either make it cost more or make it so that you could only use one per test or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I thought they would do the latter, but maybe they still will. I kind of prefer it this way, almost. Uh, I mean, there's there's arguments either way, but it is really fun to like have the full power of the card, even if it means you have to sink some XP into it. Yeah, yeah. I honestly don't think it's a bad idea to upgrade into it. Like, it's still just incredibly strong. It's still pretty good, yeah. <laughs> and like, so what are you else are you going to spend your experience on as a survivor? Right? Like, come on. Exactly. Yeah. And then the last card was a double or nothing. They made cost three experience, which has had a mixed reaction in the community. I've seen. Yeah, people are people are kind of mad about this. I one. think. And in like multiplayer with three, four players, you could use double or nothing to really pump up an important test, like on a, what is it, decipher reality to discover clues from everything. And then you just had enough players that you could all commit cards to still pass the test easily. Yeah. 
and then but then in solo you couldn't really do that as much so like this makes it in solo like this is a big experience sink for maybe not as much reward versus multiplayer we also we don't even know if it was because of that deciphered reality interaction that was why they felt like they had to do something about it and even because honestly that i don't think that's broken no. like, someone still needs to explore all the locations it doesn't work in a lot of scenarios you do need to commit a ton of cards and everyone has to sort of participate yeah it's just one example other ones like a shotgun uh you can combo it with other stuff to do like yeah 15 16 damage or a lot on one attack on a boss or something if you do that like kudos to you man <laughs> that's a great that's a great thing to do i think with that card and i think that people should not be p- penalized plus three experience yeah i don't know if there was any other weird interaction that that's why they felt it needed to be buffed up so much but yeah it is part of a lot of combos right like isn't it part of the jenny yeah it, which it, now it just costs more xp than it previously it was a 10 xp combo now it's like 16 so yeah fine. but um yeah yeah i mean as always remember the list is optional so if you really want to play a solo deck with double or nothing feel free to feel free to make up your own solo taboo list or something and you know yeah if you want to include springfield m1903 in your deck for three experience you all the power to you man there was a couple other things in the faq they're mostly minor not worth bringing up but a couple fixes to like scenarios or clarifying how a couple cards are take a look if you care about the errata uh definitely obviously missing were a clarification on how double double works with a bunch of different events apparently before the black throne there's like four three or four different interpretations of how to play that scenario and it <laughs> makes it dramatically different uh with how the empty space works but nothing on that and uh still super unclear on how luke's ability works and whether it's a rules nightmare or not hopefully hopefully matt newman and the team will give us something on those because i know there's a, definitely a segment of the community that uh, is not super happy that these aren't clear, but well, good good to know that they're keeping an eye on this stuff. And yeah, maybe we'll maybe we'll hear about some of these in the next FAQ update. Yeah. So speaking of cards that have lots of text and can be confusing, uh, why don't we dive into some <laughs> bonded cards? Hooray! Yeah, let's, go. let's briefly because pretty much all of the cards, all the player cards from this box are either bonded or myriad. Those those two mechanics, right? So maybe we should briefly remind uh, ourselves how those work. Bonded just means there's a set of cards that get set aside out of play, and when some condition involving another card is met, you take them out and do something with them. So usually it's like there's like a an asset that you can have one copy of in your deck. When you play it, you get the three set-aside copies of some bonded card, and you shuffle them into your deck, or you put them in your hand, or you put them on the field, or something like that. And there, there's variations of it that we'll talk about. And then Myriad, I believe, just means that you can have up to three copies in your deck instead of two, which is normally the limit. And Myriad cards uh, that cost XP, you only have to pay for it once, sort of, right? Like like you pay to put one card in your deck and you get to put the other ones in automatically? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But it doesn't, Myriad doesn't change, it doesn't change your deck size limit, right? Like if you're allowed to have 30 cards, Myriad doesn't like three, it's not like the three cards count as one for the purpose of deck size or something, right? Right. It just okay. is cheaper to purchase them to put in your deck. Okay, yeah, and I mean, most of them aren't, most of them don't cost XP anyway, but some of them do. Oh, well, I'm sure we'll see more in the future as well. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the first player card, this is, a, is the Hungering Blade. This is a Guardian asset, cost three, level one. Uh, it has one uh, combat icon on it. It is an item, a weapon, a melee, relic, and cursed. That's a lot of traits. Is unique. Uh, it says limit one per deck as an additional cost to put this card into play. You must search your bonded cards for three copies of Bloodlust and shuffle them into your deck. Action fight. You get plus one combat for this attack for each attached copy of Bloodlust. This attack deals plus one damage. If this attack defeats an enemy, place one resource on this card from the token bank as an offering, and it takes up a hand slot. The bonded card is Bloodlust. This is a treachery, weakness, madness. Says bonded the hungering blade revelation remove two offerings from the hungering blade to attach bloodlust to it. If you cannot take one horror and shuffle bloodlust back into your deck, while attacking with the hungering blade, shuffle bloodlust into your deck. You deal plus one damage for this attack, max once per attack. So just to briefly summarize how this works, the hungering blade is like a machete-like weapon. When you have it out, you collect resources on it by defeating enemies. So you know, for every two resources on it, if you draw a copy of Bloodlust, you can put the Bloodlust onto the blade and then use it up later to do an extra damage. But if you draw a copy of Bloodlust when you don't have two resources on the blade to spend to put it on the blade, you instead have to take a horror and put the Bloodlust back in your deck. Is that pretty much right? Sounds about right. When you say it's like machete, you just mean it's a one-hit weapon that does plus one damage. Yeah, it's a melee weapon that costs three that's like a sword that does plus one damage and plus one combat, so... Yeah. Yeah, what do you guys think about the Hungering Blade? Uh, Ursula can take it. 
Okay, does anyone have anything uh, useful <laughs> to, to say about the, the Hungering Blade? Or... No? Uh, I think it's very interesting in uh, terms of the design space. It's the first card that, for Bonded, we have that, like, give yourself extra treacheries into your deck, extra weaknesses. Yeah, you can kind of see them playing around with the design space of Bonded of, um, you know, this one, the Bonded cards are weaknesses. This one, the Bonded cards are events or something like that. Like, there's a lot of different ways they can go with it. Yeah, it's hard to evaluate. I think it might depend on, like, how fast you're killing something versus how fast you're going through your deck. Because you definitely don't want to be drawing Bloodlust when you don't have, like, two offerings on it. Yeah. So I think maybe it could be stronger in multiplayer when you have maybe more stuff to kill versus solo. Yeah, if you're solo and there's just not enough... You don't want to end up in a situation where there's not enough enemies to kill and you just keep drawing Bloodlust and they don't do anything for you. I tend to think that even if everything is going according to plan and you always have enough resources to take a Bloodlust and put it onto the Hungering Blade, you're still basically padding out your deck with a weakness. Like, even if you're using it in the good way and it's giving you an extra damage, it's basically like a card that you're spending an action or a draw to draw, and then it is sort of like a weird vicious blow. So, like, if this was just a vicious blow, like, yeah, you'd usually want to put extra vicious blows into your deck, but if it's sort of any more awkward than that, it kind of quickly becomes, like, I would rather just not bother with this. Yeah, I think there's a, a very steep curve in playability as the player count goes down. I think in solo, you absolutely don't play this because the amount of times that you're going to encounter enemies, even like if you put on the hunts in your deck, which you probably shouldn't, and like, I don't know, other things that you could try to get um, things out of the encounter deck to fuel it with, it's just really tough to do that. And as the player count scales, once you get to three, four players, then I can see it being pretty reasonable to put in a deck. Yeah. Um, But even then... Only for people who have high base strength. Basically, Mark Mark is the best guardian of the game, and he should always play this card in high player counts. I think because like most guardians have four, he has five. He doesn't need that extra kick from like a shotgun or extra kick from like a flamethrower or whatever. All he needs is that plus one fight, and then he'll be able to murder a lot of things with Bloodlust. And if you want to include something like On the Hunt in there, go for it, because you could have a better chance at drawing enemies. But really, I don't even think you're going to need that. No, don't don't ever play On the Hunt, because, I mean, it, it doesn't actually put more enemies in the encounter deck, right? It just makes it so that you kind of fish one out instead of something else. Like, you're still getting the yeah. same number of enemies each go through the deck. Well, and if you're playing in a like solo or two-player, you don't necessarily go through the whole encounter deck. And maybe you yeah, yeah, want to draw enemies for a reason. But I mean, if we're talking about like a like larger player counts and stuff. Yeah. Mark is also a good choice because Mark does draw so much that, uh, you know, if you're drawing so many cards that you're kind of already at like max hand size most of the time anyway, then the opportunity cost of having this in your deck is sort of fine. So yeah, I, I think this is probably worth playing in Mark, at least as, you know, you can only put one in your deck anyway, so this isn't going to be like your core weapon plan. It's going to be sort of like an extra option that you have in your deck. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's probably worth trying in Mark. I'm not really sure if I would play it in any other decks, honestly. Yeah, same. Good. I was worried you guys were going to try to convince me to use it in Zoe, just because it is a bladed weapon, but it's definitely super evil. So that, like, Zoe wouldn't use such a blasphemous tool to smite <laughs> the wicked. I definitely did expect you to play this in Zoe. Why do you think this is so evil? Just because it has blood on it? You, you need to research Catholicism a little bit more, I think. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, I don't know, I, isn't, what is this, the Blade of Silifest? Isn't that like an evil city somewhere in Lovecraft? I don't know. I guess most of them are spooky. I don't know, man. What's what's an evil Calamitous city? Calamitous Blade? I don't know. What's an evil city even mean? You know, like, I don't know, San Francisco's an <laughs> it's evil just, city. It's still this fine, seems like you know? This seems like something that would drive you to murder without deciding first if they were, in fact, wicked or innocent. Like, you might just accidentally murder an innocent rat or a uh, bird. That you're running Jeez, look, at, look, look at this guy over here just being incredibly judgmental. You know what? You're the real addict. <laughs> I... <laughs> what <laughs> yeah that's right no it's it's fine i it, it seems like a great zoe card honestly because uh you know it's a it's a stabby thing and and, and that's yeah. that's kind of the that's kind of the the headcanon for for ben zoe decks usually is stabbing things and what does her weakness do it pulls out an enemy right yeah i'll probably try it in zoe uh <laughs> <laughs> just just bear in mind if you do play this if if you have a scenario where you're not going to be able to defeat enemies very much like in miskatonic museum or even like um maybe even like undimension and unseen 
probably just don't play this. Yeah, definitely don't play this. Right. And and also bear in mind I think you only get the resource if you defeat something with an attack from this. So if you can't like unfortunately you can't like beat cop ping to kill a whippoorwill or a cultist or something like that. Yeah, that is right? true. That's a, a good point. So that's another thing that makes it kind of awkward. And the limit one per deck is also a a big penalty on it cuz it's harder to find if you're going to try to rely on it. Yeah, but if you do have it up and running like kind of smoothly as intended, it's going to do extra damage, which is pretty cool. So maybe maybe worth a try, especially in like a four-player mark deck. Yeah, yeah. this card's pretty metal, man. Uh, should we move on to the next card? Yeah. Dane? The next card... <laughs> the next card is Solemn Vow. It is a guardian asset. Costs zero to play, uh, level zero. It commits for two willpower icons. It is a spirit, which means Galvin can play it. Spirit tribal. It's myriad and fast, and play Solemn Vow under the control of another investigator at your location. Fast action. If the owner of Solemn Vow is at your location, exhaust Solemn Vow. Move one damage or horror from a card you control to a card that investigator controls. So this is a little awkward in wording. I've seen actually some people get a little confused as to... Um, what it actually means. I'm going to go ahead and guess that that awkwardness is in the form of Calvin players looking at this card, being really excited for about four and a half seconds, <laughs> and then closely reading the last line and just being very disappointed and angry. <laughs> I know. Uh, Am I on the right track? Uh, can you explain to me why that'd be so disappointing? Because this seems incredible for Calvin. I think it is pretty good for Calvin. Uh, like you, we usually joke like, oh, it's a spirit card. Calvin can take it. But this this seems very good for Calvin. You play this in other investigators. Is your investigator card considered a card that you control? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. In that case, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's why when Mark takes damage, he draws cards. Yeah. Well, wait a minute, though. Does Mark... Yeah, that's true. But yeah. moving a damage or horror between cards wouldn't count as taking... But it would count as placing damage on something, right? I think there's some weird distinction about moving and placing, but that doesn't matter for... Ooh, here we go. Oh, for Mark, it might. It definitely matters for Mark. Yeah, but for Calvin, he just needs to have that stat. For Calvin, it definitely is great. It makes it bust out all stats, and he heals an ally. Yeah, it's great. As a free trigger, kind of. Okay, yeah, that actually is a pretty good Calvin card, then. Also pretty good for Tommy, because uh, he can basically like soak damage from other people onto his stuff that he wants to kill anyone to get to get resources. Yeah, but see, Tommy's like an actually good deck, though, that has like other good cards <laughs> to play. I think it might yeah. be harder to fit these in. I guess the, the, the argument for this card is its opportunity cost is kind of low because it costs zero and it's fast and it has two will icons on it. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, I think that like in a Tommy deck, if I was going to play a Guts or a Steadfast, I might play one of these instead. Just because if you do really need it, you can give it to somebody else and they can help you kill your leather coat or something. Yeah, but but just to kind of go back to the specifics of the card being a little confusing the first line of text when it says play solemn vow under the control of another investigator location applies to the owner of the card then the next line after the little lightning bolt fast trigger dot exe if the owner of solemn vow is at your location part that applies to the person it is in front of who it has been given to because they control it now so they can trigger the ability yeah exactly i guess that yeah i guess that's true like that's a pretty common thing in other games uh where there's like a distinction between who owns the card and who controls it but i guess that isn't something we've seen too much in this game yet so yeah it's it's almost actually opposite of that because normally there's a there's a big distinction between the owner and the controller whereas this actually explicitly states from a card that you control to a card that that investigator controls so it it mentions nowhere that there's a clean distinction um, so it's it might just be helpful just wor- wording it in a way where people can kind of be a little little not led astray. It's basically if you have this card in your deck, you get to you give it to someone else, and then they get to move damage or horror from their stuff onto your stuff. You get to be a selfless old dude, <laughs> and it and it doesn't trigger Mark's ability because we at least we think because it's moving stuff, it's not placing. Yeah, yeah. I think there was an FAQ in that somewhere or. a question which is fine i mean to, I, but... mark's got enough ways to trigger his thing anyway what about guard dog though guard dog reacts to enemies attacking it yeah so oh, okay it doesn't gotcha. with this all right fair enough yeah and you could um you know you could like move damage off of a guard dog onto something so that you could use a guard dog again or something but right yeah. either way calvin players you have a 27 card deck size now <laughs> <laughs> well i still don't know if you'd want three of these but you definitely at least probably want a couple of them. Because there's no reason to give somebody extra copies of this. No, but you can still pitch it for two will. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Maybe. I don't know. I, yeah, Calvin, I think this is definitely cool for. And I think there's a couple of Guardians that it'd also be interesting for. Or maybe even York, because York, like, 
constantly puts on leather coats that he takes out of the garbage. So dirty old Yorick. Double double will is just any card that has double will on it is at least sort of worth playing. Yeah. Just because you're you're always going to draw treacheries that make you do will tests, and you're always it has like a half a star to any card. I think. Yeah, it's like, like it's just I'm a, a blank card that said double will on it. Like you'd play guts instead, but it, it, a card that gives you any side benefit on top of that is like at least worth thinking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah for real. Yeah, I yeah. I like it. Yeah, same. So uh, why don't I take us through the next card? Go for it. <laughs> oh, what was that? <laughs> good, good, good luck, buddy. That was uh, that was uh, that was the snakes uh, <laughs> approaching. Here we go. All right. So the next cards are segment of onyx and its bonded card pendant of the queen. So segment of onyx is a seeker asset. Cost one and it is level one. It has one will icon on it. It is item relic occult and myriad and fast the ability is free trigger if you have three copies of segment of onyx in play set them aside out of play search your bonded cards for pendant of the queen and put it into play and then the pendant of the queen uh, of nothing at all is also a seeker asset has no cost no level because it's bonded and is an item and a relic the effect is uh, bonded segment of onyx uses three charges if this card has no charges, set it aside out of play and shuffle three set-aside copies of Segment of Onyx back into your deck, or into your deck. Free trigger, exhaust Pendant of the Queen, and spend one charge. Choose a revealed location and select one. Move to that location, discover one clue at that location, or automatically evade an enemy at that location. And it is an accessory slot. The Pendant is. The Pendant, yes. So that was a lot to take in, but the gist of this I'm getting is... You have the three pieces of this uh, pendant, which are the segments. If you play, can play all three of them, then you can put them together and summon the pendant of the queen, and that gives you like three uses to do like a testless move or a free a free action move slash discover a clue slash evade an enemy. And then Exodia obliterates, right? <laughs> and not just move, but basically a teleport to a revealed location, right? Right. So like the pendant itself, like, like all those are like pretty powerful free actions that's quite a payoff for sure and um there's not a whole lot of ways to put charges on things but there are a couple of ways with um uh, so akachi can play this and i'm pretty sure this is actually something i wanted to ask rules master ben about how does this interact akachi. with like akachi's um i think akachi can't play this because the occult card is level one i thought it was marie that could take a cult card level zero i thought she could play level zero to five occult cards one of them can i know i know marie can play a cult card level zero I just looked at it. No, you're right. Just level zero. Yeah, she she could play the bonded card. Akachi could because it has uses charges on it, but that you can't put that directly in her deck. That's very awkward. She can yeah, she can like almost play it. But uh, there is there's like a card called Recharge that isn't very good that can put charges on things, so you can think about stuff like that. But it's probably not worth it. But yeah, it, it is. If you get this out, it's quite a payoff. I tend to think that you either need to be. I think this is sort of meant for Mandy in a way because you have a lot of tutors. So this isn't so bad if it's like. I'm in. Yeah, or Min that just draws a million cards. I think that if you if your situation is like, I'm going to find the first two of these just by drawing, and then I'll like tutor for the last one or something, then it becomes a lot more reasonable. I'm still kind of not sure that it's quite worth just gumming up your deck with this, because if you only draw two of these, it's just a, you know, it's just kind of a mess, right? I think you have to be playing a character that can reliably draw through their deck or search. So Mandy, Min, probably a couple other. Yeah, because I think some people are trying to make Mandy decks that play Ellie Horowitz, who tutors for Relics. Which I don't, Dane is, uh, listeners, you can't see this right now, but Dane is making a disgusted expression of his face, which I wholeheartedly agree with. I don't know. That sounds kind of neat. It's an interesting (laughs) idea. Like, I I don't think it's the (laughs) optimal way to go with Manny, but give it a try if you want. But yeah, if you're playing cards like that, then this becomes better. She could get two bows drawn by Elio Horowitz and have be equipped with double bows. Oh, very cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't, what's what's no. Mandy's agility? Is it bad? I don't remember. Uh, it's three. Oh, so yeah. Yeah, remember she has like the perfect stat line. <laughs> it's also like, I could see this just being fun. Just it's this like, yeah, it's this like Exodia quest kind of thing yeah. that you're trying to do. Yeah. And if, if you're already playing Relics and Ellie Horowitz and stuff in, in Mandy or whatever, like maybe go for it. But I, I tend to think it's, it's, just, it's going to be so bad if you only draw two of these and you can't find the other one for some reason. So just don't don't put this in just like a regular like Rex deck or something like that. Also, it's very vulnerable to like 
like a crypt shell or something, something <laughs> you lose one of them and it gets discarded, then you're just super sad. But I think honestly, you probably I would prefer to hold them in hand as long as I had hand space because you don't want to pay the one to to play them until you're sure that you have all three and they are fast. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess depending depending on what a particular scenario's treacheries look like, you could decide whether it's more of a risk to hold them in hand or to put them on the field. Yeah, it's true. The big issue is that they take up a hand space, um, which is usually good. Like you'd rather have an even just like something like an unexpected courage or guts or whatever if you really needed to draw something. The part that's nice is even if like Min is at dire straits and she can't get use out of the whole, like she can't find the pendant at all, she'll at least be able to commit it for two symbols sometimes because she's Min. You know, so like she'll get an unexpected courage about it sometimes. They do have a question mark on them, yeah, and it will be tempting to do that. I think, yeah, Min might be the place to play this just because maybe the first time through your deck you have to commit them each as like a, you know, an extra question mark. They each become a courage, basically, and maybe it's like the second time through your deck you actually manage to assemble it or something. I mean, part of the Min package that at least I played definitely relied on drawing thin to draw, <laughs> draw a bunch of extra cards, and now it's been tabooed. I don't know. Well, you can still play it, it's just you need to spend XP, right? Yeah, that's true. I don't know. Interesting card. Like like I said, I think this is one of those like might not be the best possible card, but it seems very fun and cool. And I think people have fun with it. Yeah, same. Uh, should we move on? Yeah. Okay. So the other seeker card is an event called Astounding Revelation. It has no cost. It's level zero. It has an intellect icon on it. Uh, it has the research trait, which is uh, the same trait that Mandy's signature card has, and that sort of uh, that indicates kind of how it works. Uh, it's Myriad. It says Astounding Revelation cannot be played, and reaction when you search your deck and Astounding Revelation is among the searched cards, discard it, either gain two resources or place one secret on an asset you control, max one research ability per search. So yeah, research cards like this and Mandy's signature abilities seem to be cards that have a positive effect if you find them during a search. You can only resolve one of these per search. If you actually draw them, usually you can't do anything with them apart from maybe shuffle them back into your deck or commit them. So you don't really want to draw these. You want to find them with a search. Interesting. Hmm. Uh, I do I do like the art for this one, showing uh looks like maybe like a, a rabbi who's kind of like discovering something very surprising. Yahtzee! <laughs> yeah. I think he's like just solved a prophecy or something. I yeah. don't know. He's reading or something in the holy text. Yeah, I think this card uh, could be pretty solid for Mandy. Uh, or someone else that's doing a lot of searching. I guess, you know, Mr. We, Mr. Rook is pretty great, so you might combo this with Mr. Rook or something. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of cool. If we do the math, is it worth it to, like, say, maybe trigger it on two of the three you have in your deck, and the other one is committed? That means you get four resources for two cards or three cards? And that doesn't sound actually that great. Yeah. Uh, I. <laughs> so I at first was was sort of pessimistic about this but i know a lot of people have been saying that it does good work in mandy so i'm, I'm kind of interested in trying it out i think the main thing is that it's a card that gives you stuff that you might already have enough of it gives you money which you might already have enough of and it gives you basically mr rook charges mr rook uses right? yeah because he has yeah. secrets on him <laughs> which again you might already have enough of because i think with mandy you're just trying to fire mandy's ability every turn and you can do that either using mr rook or a no stone unturned or eureka so if you already have enough money and enough Mr. Rook secrets, you don't really need more. So that's why I would be skeptical about playing like three of these. But I think maybe playing like one or two could be quite good. You just, you really don't want to draw them. You want to find them and use it to kind of maintain your Mr. Rook rhythm for as long as you can. Yeah, it's kind of cool because when I first saw this card, I kind of thought of almost like a reverse weakness. Especially, I mean, when Mr. Rook draws you a card and you find your weakness, this is kind of like, the polar opposite of that, because you have to draw this. Or no, do you? No, you don't have to, but you definitely want to draw this. Yeah, you don't draw it, you just uh, get to trigger it, basically. You get to, yeah. yeah, and that's really cool. Um, it's really cool to kind of like counteract and like kind of pad out a weakness just with two re with resources. In that way, it could kind of be similar to how survivors have... What's the one where when you fail a skill test, you can commit it, and then uh, you get two resources and two cards? Take heart, take heart. Yeah, this is kind of similar to take heart it's kind of like a survivor or a seeker analog to that maybe kind of a cool card i think it's also it's cool that you can in theory if you're playing mandy if you were doing a mr rook with mandy you could pull four cards out of your deck at once because you get to pick two cards you could fire a research ability and you also would have to draw a weakness if you found one that wasn't her signature weakness because that would just kill the whole search question that i have for this card though if you were to have this card drawn and the weakness that depletes your resources 
Can you trigger that in a way where your resources are gone first and then you have the astounding revelation and gain two? Uh, if you're using Mr. Rook? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this says when you search your deck, so that'd be before you draw the weakness. Yeah, it's it's before you actually, like, draw the stuff, I'm pretty sure. Oh. But, yeah. Um, but it's definitely, it's still pretty cool. And also, keep in mind, um, you know, Seekers, I, I think, are generally going to get want to get at least one copy of Glimpse the Unthinkable. So if you have that in your deck, if you do happen to get unlucky and draw this, instead of committing it, if possible, you might want to hang on to it and just shuffle it back in with Glimpse. That's a very good point. Glimpse just gets better more the more cards that are printed. Yeah, it's it's a ridiculous card. Yeah, so yeah, definitely. I, I think this is probably worth playing at least one or two of these in Mandy, maybe all three. I probably wouldn't play it with anybody else, even if you are going crazy with Mr. Rook, but maybe. Yeah. Yeah. On to the Rogue cards. The next one is Crystallizer of Dreams. And this was actually spoiled before by Matt Newman in a uh, little live stream thingy that they did with when they spoiled Tony. I mean, a lot of these cards have been spoiled before. (laughs) I don't know if we need to to mention that every time. Yeah, these are not world premieres. (laughs) Anyway, this is called the Crystallizer of Dreams, as you may or may not have already known. It is a one-cost asset. Uh, It commits for one will symbol. It's an item and a relic, which means that Ursula can definitely take it. And... As an additional cost to play, put this card into play, you must search your bounty card for one copy of Guardian of the Crystallizer and shuffle it into your deck. And then, triggered ability, after you play an event, attach it face down to Crystallizer of Dreams instead of discarding it to a maximum of five attached events. Attached events may be committed to skill tests as if they were in your hand, and it takes up an accessory slot. And you might be thinking, oh, it says Guardian of the Crystallizer. Guardians are usually good, right? Not this time. This Guardian of the Crystallizer is a weakness. It has three combat. 3 health and 3 evade. It is a monster. It is bonded to the Crystallizer of Dreams, obviously. And it is a hunter. It has Prey, which is the investigator with Crystallizer of Dreams only. It enters play exhausted and forced if there are no Crystallizer of Dreams in play. Set aside the Guardian of the Crystallizer outside of play, and it deals 1 sanity damage and 1 regular damage. This is a very unique card. So it's a it's a powerful asset that sort of lets you lets you have your cake and eat it too when you play events. Lets you play an event and then later get the symbols off of it at the cost of having to deal with uh, one of these crazy space muppets that's yeah. going to chase you around and try to kill you. Mr. Jellyfish, guardian of the cake. Yeah, I think we're gonna we're gonna need a name for these guys. Like um, I don't know something. They're dream jellies. I yeah, dream. Know. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> dream gogurts. <laughs> I mean, first, let's just talk about how good the card is before we worry about how annoying it is to deal with the Guardians of the Crystallizer. I think that you it really depends on what your deck is like. So even just having something like Logical Reasoning in your deck is not quite enough, because if you're playing a Logical Reasoning and expecting most of the time I'll want to commit this and I'm only going to play it occasionally, then you're not really benefiting from this. You need to specifically have events in your deck that you are going to want to play and that also have decent icons on them. Yeah. And I don't, I don't even think that I know that there's an investigator that wants to play a lot of events, right? Like maybe like half their deck or something filled with events that could definitely go under this. Yeah, no, it's just too bad that there's not a, it's just too bad there's not like a green, you know, event focused investigator that Dane really likes for some reason. I, I just can't think of anybody. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Maybe yeah. someday. Should we move on to the next card? <laughs> <laughs> Guys, play this on Safina, please, before we move on. Dane, are you pretty sure that most of the events that you play with Safina actually have good enough icons that this is worth it? Just on the top of my head, like Intel report uh, has oh, two yeah. icons. All, all those service ones do. The service ones, yeah. That is true. That's more of a Preston thing. Yeah, Painted Worlds. Oh, that is that is really good. So, like, I think this is definitely a strong card for Safina. Uh, there's other, I mean, there's other rogue decks that aren't, you know, by default event-focused, but, like, there's a good amount of events for rogues. Would you play it in Preston just if you were playing, like, all of the service cards? Or that alone might not be enough. You could. You're playing and I'm out of here because you're a baby, <laughs> baby man. But you wouldn't be able to use it after you play it out of here. <laughs> oh, but, I, but I do wonder if, like, because Preston can also play, like, Look What I Found is another card that works well with this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I wonder if, like, a Preston deck that was playing a lot of events, including the service cards, might be able to to use this. Yeah. I don't see why not. I think there's a good amount of decks that you could see fitting this into. Savina is just, like, the obvious one. But there's definitely sets of rogue cards that can be more event-focused. Even Wendy. Uh, Wendy? Yeah. She can dodge the crap out of this Guardian guy. Uh, what's the timing for Wendy? Does that somehow prevent it from getting put on the bottom of her deck? Wait a second. Calculating. What are we talking about? What what happens? When Wendy's amulet is out, when she plays an event from... Uh, no. Do you mean the third copy of Unexpected Courage that Wendy has in her deck <laughs> that's inexplicably <laughs> named an amulet for some reason? Yeah, that one. 
That doesn't do anything. You just commit. It, it. also has other text on it sometimes. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure you're wrong, Dane. I play Wendy a lot. It doesn't and, work uh, with Wendy because the Wendy forced would trigger before the crystallizer. The so. only time that I play that is in Dunwich when I'm trying to keep my deck full so that I don't die to uh, Beyond the Veil. That's that, that's it. <laughs> yeah, then don't play this with Wendy then, if that's the way that it works. One last thing we should say, though, speaking of Wendy, is so one of the big downsides of this, honestly, is that it does take up the accessory slot, which actually is a big deal because if you're a green character, that is true. you are probably going to try Try to use Lucky Cigarette Case if possible, because that's very good. Yeah. Or maybe something like, um, isn't the, is the Pocket Watch an uh, accessory slot or? It sure is. Yeah. The Skull is. The Skull, like there's already some competition. Decorated Skull. Or like Safina might want to play Holy Rosary. There's always Relic Hunter, but it's just something to keep in mind that this might have to fight other things to be your accessory slot item. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't mention the weakness. I mean, obviously that means that you have like a card, an extra weakness in your deck. It's not that scary of an enemy though. Like three, three. It does enter exhausted, which is nice. Yeah, I mean they're kind of cute. They look like floating space Twinkies. <laughs> and it is, it is three health, unfortunately, which is kind of at the like one shriveling alone doesn't kill it. You know, one like normal weapon attack doesn't kill it. It's like a backstab or something. You know, yeah. You know, you're probably running events, so you probably have some of those like damage events. So. Yeah, I guess. I think where I I think where I come down on this one is it's sort of like the segment of Onyx Pendant of the Queen thing, where it's probably like not quite awesome but it's probably fun enough to make up for it and it's like worth worth trying at least in like a safina deck should we mention the the art on this card uh the crystallizer and how amazing it is oh yeah it's pretty cool this is a very trippy (laughs) this is super flowery skull with surrounded by really tiny seagulls i think this is straight out of uh it's out of annihilation right like this is yes there you go annihilation skull with flowers over it i was just thinking like dia de los muertos or something but yeah that too I don't know. It reminds me of just like the colorfulness of Annihilation. Annihilation is a cool movie. It's a good movie. It's sort of Lovecrafty, kind of. Yeah, absolutely. Go check it out. All right. Uh, next card, which is a criminal. So event. the next card is a rogue events. Cost zero, level one. It has an intellect agility icon on it. It's called Easy Mark. Not the investigator, but um, <laughs> it is a trick. <laughs> Which means uh, Rita can use it? Sure does. Can she use level one tricks or only level zero tricks? I don't remember. <laughs> Dane just made that face again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. Anyway, someone look that up while I read this. Uh, myriad is a myriad card. Gain two resources and draw one card. Uh, as a reaction, after you play easy mark, play another easy mark from your hand at no cost. And Rita can play tricks up to level three, so she can play this card. Oh. But not level five tricks. You know who cannot play this is the Trix Rabbit, who, despite wanting very badly to play this card, is not allowed to uh, not allowed to play it. Because so. tricks are for kids and Rita. Yeah, yeah. it's really really sad. Yeah. yeah, the card itself, I think it's neat, right? I thought a lot about this card. I really like it, and I think that if you're playing Rogue and you have experience, you could probably just swap out caches for these. These are basically just better caches, I think. Yeah, you can commit them. They replace themselves and they give you two thirds of a cash. Yeah, like a, a card is usually better than a resource in the abstract. Like sometimes you'll really need money, but in general, two resources in a card is slightly better than three resources. And you can actually commit it unlike cash, which is one of the big weaknesses of cash. So yeah, like I, I think if you if you can afford the XP and it's only one XP to get three copies of these as a rogue, yeah, sure. Play it instead of cash. And obviously if you can actually get the combo off where you play more than one at once. Uh, that's super efficient, right? Because you get to draw two cards, get four money, or even more than that. Not even considering double double with this. Oh yeah, yeah. So don't so don't play this just offhand. Like, oh, I have a spare action. Play it if you need the money, and if not, maybe if you're drawing cards at a good clip and you think you can find another one, maybe see if you can find a second one before you play it. But if you need the money, then just play it. How's this compared to like payday? Like on the rogues that have extra. I'm sorry, what? Extra actions. Payday. I think we might have trashed it a lot when we first talked about it, but uh, you can get like five money out of it sometimes. Like with Tony, if he has Leo uh, Leo out, he can uh, get like five money for payday, and that's one experience. Yeah, it's true, but that's just tricky because you have to play it last action, basically, so you can't like play it and then use the money to do something, which is often what you'd what you'd prefer to do. Sometimes I don't know. I, I've been playing a lot more of the big money rogue decks, and usually they're just like floating on enough money that. They don't need the money up front to, to play something. It's usually like, oh, get yeah. boost the money at the end of my turn. Oh, this buffs some of my other money cards, or I'll have it for spending on a skill or whatever. Yeah, I think if you're playing a big money deck with Leo and some other way to get extra actions, then yeah, I think Payday might be better, but you can always just play both if you want, if you really need that much money. Yeah, it's yeah. true, and maybe you would, because you want lots of money, so... Keep in mind, Payday, you get two copies, and you have to pay one XP for each of them. This one, you can get three copies for just one XP total. 
Yeah, it's definitely cheaper for upgrading. If there's ever a, a an investigator that wants to have a really small deck size for some reason, like if somebody either comes out with a really small deck size or something like that, this is a really good card to like go through your deck quicker. Even when you're comparing it with cash level two, which is almost the same thing for one more experience, this is still just better than it because almost for the sole purpose that it can commit. It can commit, even though it gives you one less resource, it commits for two pretty relevant things to rogues. And you get the added bonus of if you have two of them at your hand, like say at the beginning of the game or something, you can replace both of them and get two resources or four resources. So you're almost like, it almost adds to your mulligan in that way too, which is kind of cool. Lastly, uh, Dane and I find this card very funny because it is named after a Netrunner card and the art is also kind of a reference to the art of that Netrunner card. But the actual, what the card actually does is instead a, a different Netrunner card called Process Automation. Mm. So that's just a fun, fun little inside uh, Netrunner thing there for two thirds of this podcast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and nobody else because Netrunner is obviously a complete dead game. They don't want to play this anymore, so it's fine. Easy Move Mark on. is generally a pretty good thing to play <laughs> after the the corp. You ramp the corp, and uh, you need to get back up on your money. But you know, uh, Dan, why don't you take us through the next card? <laughs> uh, I, I got this one. Uh, all right. Uh, okay, so uh, the next card is a mystic event uh, called Stargazing. Cost zero, level one, has a question mark icon on it. It is an insight, and uh, ooh, is this? Uh, it's an insight and an augury. There's, I don't know if we've seen a mystic insight before, but this certainly is one. It says max twice per game. Play only if there are ten or more cards in the encounter deck. Search your bonded cards for one copy of The Stars Are Right and shuffle it into the top ten cards of the encounter deck. And then the bonded card is The Stars Are Right. It is an event with no cost. Uh, it's an augury. It says bonded stargazing. Revelation, remove the stars are right from the game. Choose an investigator. That investigator draws one card, gains one resource, and may take an immediate action as if it were their turn. This action does not count towards the number of actions that an investigator can take each turn. Interesting. So is this actually... Yeah, it's funny because it's an event with a revelation effect, right? Like this is... That's kind of unusual. The back of that card is an encounter card. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know how much how much time we really want to spend on this. I to me this is just a clear like not worth putting it in your deck. I wanted to kind of talk about it a little bit in the same vein that we talked about the bloodthirsty blade thing. This scales better with more people in your party. The only downside that the bloodthirsty blade does not have is that it's only twice per game. If this weren't twice per game, and you could just take this on your, like, in a four-player game, you draw through the encounter deck sometimes twice, depending on the, the scenario. This could be really, really good. This is, like, you can kind of consider this on the level of award because one person is drawing, not drawing something. No, abso- absolutely not. Not even close. It's basically just replacing a bad draw with something that's kind of nice. Uh, one card, one resource, and taking an immediate action is is pretty nice. But the downside of only twice per game is kind of rough. Although I think that if they didn't do that, there could probably some, be some super degenerate combo where you can put like 10 of these in the top top 10 cards or something. Like it that. means it means you can't run uh, like four Mystics all with this. Yeah, and double-double Safina or something yeah. like that for, mil- yeah. for a million, yeah. I was kind of wondering if there might be in one of those combos where you keep reshuffling your the same eight cards in your deck each turn or something like that. If there might be a way to like play this every turn, but yeah, the the two per the two per game limit definitely kills that. Yeah, but no, I I just want to address why I think this is so much worse than a ward because a ward you hold in your hand and you wait until there's a bad treachery like in Ancient Evils and then you ward that. This, I mean, by by bumping all the cards below it, you know, one card further down the encounter deck, sure, it effectively moves one encounter card from a thing that you would have drawn to a thing that you aren't going to draw but you can't control what that is like you probably just warded quote warded unquote something that you didn't actually really care about that much that would have been fine to draw yeah i mean like the the counterpoint to that would be that you do get to do stuff it's not just warding it you do get a resource you draw a card and you take an action you also paid a card in an action to play this though yeah although you could also pass it to somebody else give someone else that card in action yeah like you're you're paying a card in an action to give someone a card and a resource in an action so you're just netting like a resource that's not great yeah i mean it's it's kind of doing something unique in that the only things that we've seen interact with the encounter deck so far are like scrying and Alyssa, and i think that's it and i guess if you want to include on the hunt but this is kind of a different way to do that we haven't seen a player card with a um encounter card back yet 
Yeah, I mean, it, it is definitely a very interesting from a rules perspective because it's the first time we've seen that you get to kind of inject one of your own cards into the encounter deck. I just, yeah, I, I really don't think that, that this is worth playing. But I don't know, pr- prove me wrong. I think if you could, you could maybe combo it with some of the encounter deck manipulation stuff. There was something else recently that was that too, but we just kind of didn't talk about that part of the card at all. But yeah, I agree right now it's a, a little awkward to use. If they make some investigator in the future that's like, whenever you play an augury spell, uh, draw three cards and gain three money or something, then sure. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, interesting design space, but maybe not the strongest. I don't know. Yeah, I do like the flavor of it a lot. Like, it's cool. It's like, oh, you're predicting stuff. You know, that's that's neat. Yeah, flavor-wise, pretty cool. Yeah, and the art is great. Yeah. Moving on to the next card. This next card is Open Gate. It is a mystic event. It costs one to play. It's called Open Gate. Um, it commits for one will and one agility. It is a spell. It's got myriad and fast. Play only during your turn. Attached to your location. Limit three in play. Investigators may move between any two locations with an attached open gate as if the locations were connected. So this was spoiled, I think, along with Luke, who kind of has an affinity for this spell here because he can attach it to, like, locations that are next to him. And when he is in his dream gate, he's attached to all locations. So he can kind of put them all over and kind of swoop into the dream world or wherever this is taking you, presumably to the dream world. And you kind of get to pop out anywhere you want. Yeah, that is kind of neat. Yeah. Uh, it's also interesting that he could, even without the his gate box, he could, for instance... um play one of these on the location next to him in one direction and then play another one in the location next to him in another direction and create a bridge that other people could use. Is his player mode event thing once per turn? It might be. What's once per turn? I think it's only once per turn he gets to pretend he's at a different location. Oh, his ability? But anyway, yeah, and of course it's myriad, so you know you can have three of them. It's also, you can only have three out at a time across the whole group, but this definitely would get better if you had two people with them because then it would be easier to kind of like play them on opposite ends of the map and have a quick way to warp. Yeah, I think it's it could be scenario dependent on like on, on maps you have to move around a lot. Yeah. But there's enough of those like in every campaign that I think you can make mm-hmm. good use out of it. Some maps it might be a dead draw, like train, because you're not really going to be going back probably. I think this might be dead fairly often, or I mean, not completely dead, but dead in the sense that you'd much rather just draw just about anything else. I tend to think of it as like there's a few scenarios in each campaign where it will actually be quite good, but yeah. maybe almost like if you're playing Safina and you can adaptable it in or something like that might be the way that I would think about it. Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I was thinking, because like, kind of what you said is, I think, probably objectively true for this card, which is generally going into a blind campaign or going into most places it's not that great um it's it's like kind of less than desirable but some places it's like really incredible some maps are huge and you'd benefit tremendously from having this just just as an example like um carnival of horrors the the venice standalone this would be quite good for that right oh, yeah yeah or like yeah. in the clutches of chaos where you're running around towns trying to get all the the spooky little things happening off of each of it or the asylum whatever that's called unspeakable oath yeah <laughs> yeah I think it's definitely can be very strong on those big maps, but it's just not going to be strong every time. I like the adaptable idea a lot. And even then, I think it has the problem that a lot of these myriad cards have, where the thing about the myriad cards is that they, all of these have some benefit to like playing multiples at once or something like that. Or I guess not all of them, but a lot of them do, like this one does. Because effectively, if you draw one of these, it is completely dead, right? It's <laughs> yeah. only, you have to, it, this doesn't do anything until you find a second one and manage to get to play two of them fairly far apart from each other. So that is like a big initial ask to get a benefit from it. It can be quite good once you manage to do that, though. Could be solid in Patrice, too, because she draws through her deck so fast. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, that's kind of true. And it's a fast card, so it's something she can play relatively easily, just one one money. So. And it has a will icon on it, which is like, you know, that's at least one, so that's fine. Yeah, and I mean, I think yeah. what's really cool, what's really enticing me about this card anyway, uh, with Luke, is that he continues the legacy of the deck that i wanted to play which is daisy who never moves anywhere with a barricade and can go places and investigate within the know this i think fits into that deck because luke can disappear into his dream gate and not destroy his barricades so he can have like two little hq bases and hop around from barricade to barricaded place and put open gates next to them and stuff like that i think that's kind of a neat neat thing can Luke play all of the uh, secret cards you need for that type of deck? Don't you need, like, Deciphered Reality and stuff? Also, using Dreamgate definitely would trash a barricade. 
Oh, is it because whenever an investigator leaves? He can play barricades at like adjacent locations where there's no investigators currently, and then that way the barricade doesn't get trashed when people move around. But he can't play it. If he plays it on his own location and then gate boxes away, that'll trigger the barricade's discard because it's just like when investigator leaves. Oh, I see. Is it time to talk about cats? It's probably time to talk about cats. Let's talk about <laughs> cats. To. Let's talk about the upcoming feature film, Cats, directed by Tom Hooper. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Skimble Shanks. Yeah. No. Let's, let's talk Sorry. about Rum Tum Tugger, everyone's favorite. <laughs> uh, we should seriously, like, we're probably not a big enough deal for this to work, but we should definitely start some kind of, like, a crowdfunding thing where if people donate $500 to some charity, we'll all go see Cats <laughs> <laughs> and record a podcast yes. about it, like... There's just some real elder chores in that film. Yeah, that would, that would probably be the scariest movie I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, so, I lo- so I look forward to not seeing it. So uh, the survivor cards. There are four cats in this in this box. There's one of each. And and which means that Matt did not lie to us when we interviewed him. And Hooray! We asked, uh, the, the, the one of our the one of our future questions that he answered. Oh, that's true. Uh, yeah, was was about there being cats, multiple cat cards in the upcoming cycle. Yep. So yeah, no, I knew we had undershot the number. Like, <laughs> I, like we said three. There's there's probably going to be at least five more cats, right? Maybe. Anyway, the card is Miss Doyle. Which is a unique card, the Cat General of Uthar. It is a survivor asset, costs three to play, it's level one, and has a willpower icon on it. It's an ally creature in Dreamlands, limit one per deck. Forced after Miss Doyle enters play, search your bonded cards for Hope, Zeal, and Augur. Is that how you say that? Yeah. Uh, randomly choose one to put into play and shuffle the other two into your deck. When Miss Doyle leaves play, find each of those assets, even if they are out of play, and remove them from the game. She has two health, two sanity, and takes up an ally slot. And then uh, Hope, Zeal, and Augur are all very similar, so I'll just read one of them and mention the differences. So Hope is a cost one asset, ally creature dreamlands, has a combat and intellect icon on it. It's bonded to Miss Doyle and is fast, and it's force after Hope enters play, discard Zeal and Augur. And as an action, if Hope is ready, exhaust or discard him, evade, Attempt to evade with a base agility value of 5. If you discarded Hope, this test is automatically successful. Then you may shuffle Hope into your deck to put Zeal or Augur into play from your discard pile. Uh, And then Zeal and Augur are similar. Zeal lets you do a fight with a base fight of 5 and has agility and intellect icons, while Augur lets you do an investigate with a base investigate value of 5 and has combat and agility icons. Whichever one you discard, it lets you try to find the other cats. So, okay, even if you discard the current cat that you have, you still get to shuffle it in? Does that part of the card still happen? Uh, yes. Let's see. If it's ready... Oh, okay, so it's only if you discard it. Okay. And I guess the the reason that you would probably want to play these is because, as luck would have it, there are multiple survivors and also Preston... There's Calvin and maybe Patrice and Preston who have low base stats and are kind of interested in having like temporarily boosting their stats to some fixed high value. So these cats let you do that, right? Yeah. They're either repeatable use, boost your base value, or like a one-time automatic success. Also, the wording on hope is different than the other two. Oh, really? Why does it say attempt to evade instead of just investigate or fight? Does it just assume you're going to fail? <laughs> I think it's because there is an evade action, but there's also like evading an enemy is a thing that you do where you, I, I don't know. It's confusing. Uh, whatever. Yeah, I don't know. What, what do you guys think? What do we think about the cats? I think because you don't know which one you're going to get out uh, immediately, it might be kind of rough because maybe you, you really just want to have the fight cat out to be focused on fighting or something. I think mechanically they're fun. It's like they're, they're cats, they don't get along or something because you can only have one of them out at a time. And like you can trash one to switch to another one, basically. But it might be a little awkward to be able to trigger that because maybe you want the investigate cat, but you have nothing to fight because you have the fight cat out, so you can't swap it like that. The investigate cat Augur is definitely the best of the three in the sense that investigating with a high int value is pretty good. Just fighting with a high combat value where you don't do any extra damage is usually we're not super interested in that. And evading with a high agility value is nice, but it's kind of more situational. I think it's also just tough because Miss Doyle is only one per deck, so I guess you could try to find it with Flair or Calling in Favors, but you're putting... If if this is like a key thing that you're hoping to help you 
accomplish things. It's just going to be tricky to find it. Easier with Patrice, obviously. Yeah, I think Patrice might like it. And as you said, like Calvin or uh, Preston might find interesting uses out of these cats. These cats are kind of cool because they all complement each other in that, like, if you have Augur out, both other cats both commit for intellect. And then if you have Hope out, both the other cats commit for agility. Right. So, like, somebody, maybe like Min, librarian with a bunch of cats, would really think this is cool because they do gain extra symbols if you commit them, or one of them would anyways. And then if you're playing the necklace, that gives you more commit symbols. But Min has a base intellect value of four already, so it's not really worth it. She could use it for evading or fighting, maybe. Yeah, I think she has better options. It's just that I think the reason those symbols match the other ones is so that you can commit them to a test so that they're in your discard pile, so then you can swap them in later. My question is, how does this work with Yorick? Can Yorick be a crazy undead cat dad? Like when you commit zeal. Uh, well, no, the, the, they all have the forced effect that says after whichever one enters play, discard the other ones. Yeah. You may. Oh, wait. Um... No, the forced effect makes you discard the other gotcha. two cats. So I, I think it's the intent is there's not a way to get multiple cats out. Yeah. I think uh, it's also keep in mind that it's not just that you get, you know, use this during a test to boot to pretend that your your intellect value is five you have to actually do the investigate action on this card so for instance it doesn't combo with things like lock picks or something like that if you happen to have that yeah i don't know i think it might be worth trying with patrice because she's going to find miss doyle most easily and then she's going to find augur after that which is what you really want to do i don't know if i'd necessarily play it in other decks but i don't really play calvin or preston very much so i'm not really sure about that yeah definitely don't just play it in like a random normal deck yeah, it, you do, it's definitely a deck you need to like build around a little bit to be able to either, either dig for the cat with a flare or something. Calling in favors, yeah. Calling in favors or something to dig for the specific ally. Or or draw five cards per turn. <laughs> yep, or or be Patrice that draws so many cards. Yeah. Uh, is, there some, is there something weird you could do with calling in favors comboed with Mandy's ability to somehow get two of these guys in play? I don't think so. Because they get put into play simultaneously. Maybe. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. I don't know. Lots of cats. It's kind of cool that three of these cats are like definitely from the same artwork because they fit, they definitely fit together. The the three cats that get out. Yeah, maybe maybe we'll see a, a playmat or something. That'd be cool. And Miss Doyle is definitely the cat general of Uthar. I'm excited for the cat lieutenant of Uthar, the cat sergeant of Uthar, <laughs> the cat master sergeant of Uthar. I'm very excited for this whole retinue of. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of cats that we encounter in this adventure. I'd like to see the cat admiral of Ulthar, like, riding a little cat boat around. That'd be fun. <laughs> Miss Doyle and the Powerpuff Cats. There's there's a cat boat in Amsterdam that's just, like, uh, these ladies that live on a boat, and there's, like, a ton of cats on the boat, and you can go visit it. In Japan, there's cat cafes? Oh, yeah. Well, there's one of those in San Francisco. Those are all over the place. People like cats, and you know what? I'm, I'm here for it. I'm excited for these cats, man. Yeah. Um, should we move on to the last player card, though? Yeah. The last player card! Okay, so we have a survivor event, uh, cost X. Ooh, interesting. Level zero, it's called Fortuitous Discovery. It's a fortune and an insight. It's myriad, of course. X is the number of other copies of Fortuitous Discovery in your discard pile. And it says, investigate, you get plus X intellect for this investigation. If you succeed, discover X additional clues at your location. So the first time you play this, it costs zero. You just do an investigate and it does nothing. It's basically, you can just play it when you're investigating to not really do much. The second time it costs one and gets you an extra clue and plus one int. And then the third one that you play, you know, you get two extra clues and plus two, but it costs uh, two. So it seems, seems kind of good, right? I think it's good. I can definitely see that playing this in a min deck who can draw a lot of cards. Rex is kind of sad because he can't ever take this. It is a little bit tough in min because you you don't necessarily want to play too many cards that don't have symbols on them. That's the thing. I, I'm yeah. kind of upset that this doesn't have a symbol on it. It almost feels like it's punishing you for playing it because you want to have these in your discard pile. And I don't think it's like super overpowered if you were able to just discard one. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it would almost be too good in that case. Honestly, what I'm mostly thinking about this is, so certainly Patrice, because I think with Patrice, you just oh, yeah. l- you you let the first one go into your discard pile from your hand, and then maybe you play the second one, and then probably you play the third one. So the only cost to having this in is that it's slightly fewer symbols to commit each turn, but it might be worth it. I'm also thinking about Wendy, though, because Wendy has space in her deck for a couple of symbolless cards that she can use to discard to redraw a chaos token with her ability. 
So if you're going to investigate with Wendy, it actually might be worth it to play a set of these just because the first one, and honestly, maybe even the second one, you just use as fuel for your ability. And then the third one you play and it costs two and you get three clues at once. That's pretty great. Yeah. Anyone that can do controlled discards could, you know, make benefit out of this. Ash can Pete. Ash can Pete or having cornered. Yeah. I mean, you also need to draw enough cards that you're pretty sure you're going to find all three, which again, Wendy qualifies, not totally sure about others, but maybe. Do you think this is why on the taboo list, they increase double or nothing by three experience? Because Wendy could, if investigating with fortuitous discovery with two others in, in play and you double, double that, you get six clues at once, right? That'd be pretty good. She passes the test. Yeah. It is a bold investigate action, so you can't combo it with lockpicks or whatever as yeah, mentioned yeah yeah, yeah. but that's kind of disgusting like with that combo it's also interesting in that yeah how would that work because you wouldn't get like plus x twice on the same test you would do two tests with plus three uh or, okay so, so you have you have two of these in your discard pile you have double or nothing out and you use it and you play the third one of these does that mean that you get two investigates and each one you get plus two intellect and each one you get three clues if you succeed no double or nothing just after you initiate a skill test, doubles the difficulty of the skill test. Oh, right. And then doubles your rewards. So if you skip the test, you'd get six clues. Oh, okay. Sorry. I had it confused with double-double. Yeah. 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 But if you double-double this, it works like I thought, where you get two tests and both of them, you get a bunch of clues, right? Or actually, wait a minute. If you double-doubled, you do the first one, would it then go into your discard pile? And then for the second one, you have three in your discard pile? I think probably not. But... Preston can do that, right? He's the only one right now. Preston? Yeah. Or or Jenny or people that have splash oh, yeah. zero, sure, sure. yeah. Other than Rex. but actually, if you double double it, this would go in your discard pile. I think it's after you play an event, so you'd finish resolving playing the event, put it in your discard pile. If you double double wow. it, you'd be playing another copy of the event. And you get four, so yeah, it would cost three to play, have plus three book, and get four clues. Wow! So you also need to have a location that has that many clues on it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and also worth mentioning, this isn't super cheap. Like the so the third one costs two. If the the magical mythical uh, fourth one would cost three, so <laughs> the mythical yeah. fourth fortuitous discovery. Yeah, but like if you're doing if you're using it in a rogue, you don't care that much about money. But survivors, yeah. it might be harder to pull it off. Nevertheless, I I think I am interested in trying this in a Wendy deck. If if I need a little bit more investigative power, it might end up being not quite worth the card slots. But I think it's at least uh, an interesting thing to try. What's going on in the art in this card? She's hunting for little jade ponies. But she's like climbing up a mountain and she's happy that she found this pony as she's halfway up the mountain. Well, how's that fortuitous? I don't know. It's a it's a magic pony. Wouldn't you be happy? Grant's wishes. <laughs> yeah. So that's it for the regular player cards. There are also four new weaknesses, which kind of are all multiplayer only. They're all centered on specifically hurting ways that you interact with your your teammates. I don't think we want to read these each individually, but yeah, they they definitely do seem kind of cool. Yeah, I think two of them like hurt your teammates, and two of them like rely on your teammates to help save you from them. Yeah, yeah. they're really cool and dynamic. Yeah, theme wise, they all seem cool. There's a lot of variety to them. We recommend uh, mixing them into your deck and then drawing them and seeing how they how they <laughs> play out. Some of them, some uh, <laughs> of them might be like really bad in a two player game, but fine in a four player game, or vice versa. So that's kind of going to be interesting to to figure out. But they, yeah, they seem cool. I'm excited for the variant of Arkham that somebody inevitably creates, where investigators instead of drawing one of random random basic weaknesses, they kind of have a custom tailored like random basic weakness pile that each person draws from. So, for example, Finn would only draw from like. Things like kleptomania and things that would make sense for him. And like somebody like Jenny would maybe draw from a pile that has like indebted and like uh, lose all your resources and all that kind of stuff. That'd be pretty cool. And I think that these would fit in a very cool thematic way to that. Larry would basically always have an narcolepsy because he's he's <laughs> an old man. man. Yeah. It, it also, I mean, it also might be fun to start varying it by campaign. Like drawing the sign maybe doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you're not playing Carcosa. Like it's fine. <laughs> but as we get more and more of these, you might start to get a, I always think of this as Eldritch Horror had an expansion that added a whole bunch of, it was Antarctica Mountains of Bandits themed and it added a whole bunch of Antarctica themed stuff. So there was a bunch of uh, hypothermia cards. Oh but yeah. It would make no sense because you'd be playing not that expansion. You'd be in like, africa or something and you'd get hypothermia and it would be kind of silly but uh you never know you know (laughs) yeah even that's kind of fun it's like a weird kind of um amalgamation and like weird stuff happening all at once so that's cool yeah so i think these are these are going to be really fun to draw um more more times than not i think they'll they'll feel fun to have to pull your friends over to help get off of you or 
steal things from your friends. I think they have good role playing uh, opportunities, yeah. which I usually enjoy. Other weaknesses, you yeah, know, chronophobia, just like, like stabbing your friends. We're running out of time. Uh, yeah, that, that's usually that's what Ben means by role playing is basically drawing chronophobia and saying, "Oh no, we're running out of time," and then that's it. <laughs> or or stabbing somebody. But, but then I repeat it every time I take a horror. That is that yeah, is stabbing true. someone. I don't yeah. know. That is great. True. Yeah, these are these are the best weaknesses, just because they uh, they help they promote uh, friendship in a lot of funny and very dumb ways. <laughs> well, two of them do. The other two, the other two like make you hurt hurt your friends. They they promote or destroy friendship. But yeah, so those are all the investigator cards and weaknesses from the pack. Before we wrap up the show, we just want to let you know that we are at Arkham Knights. So if you want to come say hi to us again, we'll be playing Arkham cards all weekend. Wearing arms, cutting your radio shirts. So it'll be easier for you to spot us. That's right. If you're listening to this on Friday, uh, October 11th, as you, you know, fly or drive to Roseville, Minnesota, then uh, yeah, come, come say hi. Get hype. And also... We are going to be bringing a custom promo card to hand out to anybody that can find us at Arkham Knights. Wow. It'll be a reward for the investigation. Yeah. As we said, we'll be wearing our shirts. If you want to check out the art for it on our blog and see if you can take a guess at which card it might be, we'll be glad to say hi, maybe give you a high five, and give you one of these promo cards. Yeah, we're really we're really excited about this. I did not agree to high five anyone, Dane. I'll, I'll give people a polite nod. That's fine. <laughs> wow. Wow, not even a high five for our fans. Great. That's ice cold, Ben. Uh, you can you're in charge of high fives, Dean. <laughs> <laughs> high five duty here. Anyway, who's excited here to stand together with your narcoleptic uncle, Larry Anderson? Who here thinks that the little house in stargazing is your house in the gathering? Comment wherever you listen to podcasts or email us at comments at mur.fm. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. They basically banished nested skill tests was one other big thing. Nobody gives a fuck about this. Nobody <laughs> There's a bunch this. of weird Nobody fun interactions that you can do. Tests. Like no. if you inter- initiated a no. test, we gotta come up, test. We gotta, we gotta keep, no, we gotta keep the segment short. All right, come on, fine. Cares. People can go and read about the nested skill test changes I'm and the repercussions about them. You're going to cut it all out. Very lame, yep. Dan.